Well, hello there. You're listening to We Just Like to Talk. I'm your host, Becky. And I'm Ben. This is a podcast for easy listening about hard subjects. Today's topic is... Asexuality and aromanticism. Today I wanted to talk about asexuality and aromanticism because those are two labels that I use to identify myself. So I thought it was important for us to discuss that on the podcast. Um, both of these labels are less well-known and less recognized than some of the other labels in the queer acronym. So I kind of feel like if I've got a podcast and I've got a platform, I have a little bit of a responsibility to bring more awareness to this subject. I think those are amazing reasons to do it. And I'm really mm-hmm. proud of you. So thank you for sharing. Asexuality and aromanticism are identities broadly defined as not experiencing sexual attraction when it comes to asexuality or romantic attraction when it comes to aromanticism. And there, there is a difference between sexual and romantic attraction. Uh, if you want more kind of like general information about asexuality or aromanticism, we'll probably get into that a little bit in our conversation. Mm-hmm. But I think Becky and I are going to be focusing mostly on just like my personal experience being asexual and aromantic. So we may not cover all of the basics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've put some links in the show notes to a few websites that might give you some more insights and we'll certainly give you a broader range of voices than just my voice can provide right Mm -hmm. i'm only one person the way i experience my sexuality and my romantic identity is going to be very different from somebody else even if they're also um, arrow and ace those are short forms so if you want to learn more and explore more after you've listened to this go to the trevor project avon the asexual visibility and education network And then there's also uh, a zine, an online journal called The Asexual, which features a lot of voices from asexual people, aromantic people, even agender voices. Uh, So there's lots of creative and artistic pieces in there that you may find particularly interesting. Nice. So Becky, as the token straight person on this podcast, (laughs) um, I've tasked you with coming (laughs) up with some questions to, to ask me just to try to kind of drive the conversation. Uh, What are the kinds of things that you'd like to know? Before you and I met, I was like very ignorant and like didn't know much. I I don't even honestly think I was aware of asexuality or aromanticism. I just want to say thank you for teaching me so much along the way. And I always love hearing about your experiences. And thank you for opening up. Like truly, truly amazing. Okay, so... When did you sort of like realize you were asexual? I think I probably was aware of that was how I felt Mm -hmm. a while before I really had the label to use it, right? Mm. Which I would say a lot of asexual people I've talked to or whose experiences I've seen read about online 
would probably understand that. So I don't think I really knew about asexuality until well into university, Mm -hmm. but I was pretty certain even before then that I wasn't, you know, like, I don't know if I'd, again, I don't know if I'd use the label straight. I think I probably felt, or sorry, I think I probably thought of myself as straight because that's the default that we're raised with in our society, which is awful. Yeah. So I was just, I thought of myself as somebody who was straight, but just not into uh, getting with anybody, mm. which is so, yeah. Um, and then eventually, you know, just learned about the word asexual. And I, was, I, I think at the time I was just like, yeah, okay, that's me. That's, that's who I am. And I didn't really think of it as an identity as like being queer or anything like that. I'm just like, yeah, I'm asexual. It was quite a journey for me to start identifying kind of openly in that way. Mm. It wasn't until just a few years ago, uh, at some point, I was just like, you know what? I want to embrace this label more visibly, use it more. Mm-hmm. You know, I put it into my Twitter bio. Um, and I was just like, I want this to be like more about who I am. I want to talk about it more. And I kind of want to be more in people's face about it because this is not something that's pretty common, commonly talked about. And I want to see it talked about more often. Mm. I love that. And I think you also bring up a good point of like, I love that you said like, you just sort of like knew, like you know yourself well enough and maybe you didn't have the label, but you knew that what people were telling you or how you should be feeling like wasn't how you felt. So you, you knew instinctively. I think that's really important to, to know yourself as well. What do you think is one of the most like common misconceptions about asexuality and aromanticism? So I think there's two really common misconceptions. The first being that it's not real that it's just like a phase that you know oh you just haven't met the right person these are common things for ace and arrow people to hear i've been really lucky i do have to say like i haven't received a lot of pushback when i've talked to people about this stuff and a lot of that might have to do with the fact that i'm white and male and so i have a lot of privilege in other ways the second misconception would be that asexual people don't like or are uh, repulsed by sex and sexual activity. That's certainly true for some asexual people, but it's not true for all of us. And it's also true for people who aren't asexual, right? There's straight people who are just still incredibly sex repulsed and, and, and don't want to have sex themselves, even if they experience attraction to other, to, to, to other people, right? Asexuality, just like any sexual orientation, it's about who you experience that attraction to, right? Kind of like who gets you going, uh, who do you look at or smell or touch or think about in those ways. It doesn't describe your behaviors. So there are asexual people who have sex because they enjoy it or because they have partners uh, and that's an important part of their relationship and they're okay with engaging that kind of behavior so when somebody says oh i'm asexual or i'm aromantic it doesn't mean that they hate sex it doesn't mean that they don't like it or are uncomfortable with it It doesn't mean that they hate romantic stuff Uh, it might mean those things but it might not and you don't really know until you've talked to them and gotten to know them better just like 
until you talk to and get to know anybody. I love that. I think you're absolutely right when you say that it's so important to like raise more awareness because people probably have those those ideas, right? Like until you know, you don't know. So how can somebody who's not asexual, like myself, how can I be more of an ally and how can I help like raise awareness? That's a fantastic question. I love when people ask like, how can I be more of an ally? The best thing you can do in general as an ally is ask questions of your friends if they're willing to talk to you about it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you don't want to expect your friends to educate you if it's not their job. Mm -hmm. But you know, do, do research yourself. Find reliable resources. But try to center other people's voices, right? It's When you're an ally, sometimes the temptation is to like get really excited about what you've learned and share it with everybody. But when you're doing that, you're basically like silencing the people you're supposed to be supporting, right? Mm-hmm. And I've done that in the past. Yeah, like we've all done that, right? We're yeah. all well-intentioned, right? Uh, and we do that and then, we, you know, we step on people's voices. It's bad and we should stop doing it. But it's yeah. hard. It's hard when you have that kind of privilege. Yeah. So, you know, step back, listen, think about your privilege, think about what people are saying. Because mm-hmm. the, experience, the, the experience is always different from what you've had, right? Like, yep. as, as a straight person who's had relationships and who very often experiences attraction to people, <laughs> <laughs> your experience is as alien to me as it is to you, right? Yeah. And, uh, I will say one thing that I really like that you you did, and you, you mentioned this a while back, is you were talking about me to your roommates. Like, we, I came up at some point. Yeah. They had made a joke about something, I think. And you're like, oh, no, Ben just isn't into people that way. And they're like, what do you mean? And so you actually, like, sat down with them and had a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Which I was really impressed by. And just to be clear to, to our listeners, if you have a friend who is asexual or gay or trans or queer or whatever, uh, do not out them to other people unless you know that they're okay with that. Yeah, um, totally. So Becky, Becky knew that I was fine with her talking about me being ace to her roommates in Montreal or, you know, in general. Like, it's in my Twitter profile. It's not like it's a secret. I'm not in the closet. Uh, but just in general, right, best of, best of intentions, don't out people. <laughs> um, yeah. But... You knew that I wouldn't have a problem with that. So you kind of took upon yourself to educate them as best you could, right? Because I wasn't there. It's not like you were going to call me up and be like, Ben, explain to my roommates about your sexual orientation. Uh, and they and they don't know me. They've never met me. We don't live in the same city. Yeah. Uh, right? Like, there's no reason they really need to learn more about this for that particular purpose. So yeah. you actually, you kind of went above and beyond there in the sense of, you didn't have to do that. There was no pressure to do that. Mm-hmm. It's just you seized an opportunity. And that made me feel really good. And mm. so I appreciate you doing that. I like that you said, like, it's important sort of like not to go around and like speak for those individuals because then you're just sort of like silencing them. Okay, let's get into some more nitty nitty gritty stuff. <laughs> some more hard hitting questions and uh, more from like just your perspective. So when I see someone 
you know, I sort of judge them based on how they look, right? Like if I see a guy and he he looks fit and he has brown hair and he's a certain height or whatever, I, I see someone and, and I'm judging them and, I, and in my head, you know, subconsciously, I'm thinking like, ooh, that person's attractive or they're hot or, or whatever, or, oh, that person is so not hot, they're not my type. But when you see someone, what is what is your thought process? How so I'll you... answer that, but I, I, have a, I have a question for your question first. Oh, okay. <laughs> so what's the difference when you're looking at a guy versus when you look at a girl? So for me, I look at men as like, I would potentially sleep with that person, right? Like, to me, I'm yep. like, ooh, like, I would want to, like, kiss that person or it's kind of like, it's kind of like my body's, like, responding to, like, it's like my body and okay. my head are responding. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas, like, when I look at a woman, I'm sort of, like, looking at her facial features and I'm thinking, like, and maybe of what she's wearing and I think, like, oh, wow, like, she's really pretty or, you know, she has great style, like, that sort of thing. Right. I don't, I don't look at her face and think, like, ooh, like... Her lips are really luscious. Like, I would love to kiss her. It's... Okay. Yeah. So you're capable of evaluating, like, the vis visual attractiveness of women. Mm -hmm. But you don't connect that to um, your body's responses. No. Interesting. Yeah. So, like we said, like, there's a difference between sexual and romantic attraction. There's also other forms of attraction right there's aesthetic attraction which is kind of what you're describing when it's like you find something vis visually pleasing or pleasing to the eye pleasing to uh your senses that's also there's also sensual attraction in that way like when you find oh like i like how this candle smells um so like or like i like how this blanket feels or i like touching this person so there's all these aspects to attraction like attraction is so much more nebulous than just sex and romance right mm-hmm and as far as aesthetic attraction goes, I'm a little bit conflicted. I don't really know how much I experience aesthetic attraction. Mm -hmm. When I look at somebody, I don't evaluate them the way that you're that, that you're describing it. Mm -hmm. I don't look at somebody and go, oh, that person's hot or, mm, yeah, I don't know. That person's middle of the road or whatever. Um, I don't see people that way. It's really hard for me to describe it. And I also don't want to sound conceited like, oh, I don't evaluate people's appearances like obviously there are people whose appearances i prefer mm. i guess i'd say mm -hmm. but it's not based on my body being attracted to them mm -hmm. like it's not like people whose appearances i prefer are people i necessarily want to spend more time with i don't i don't know it's so hard for me to articulate this because the language that we have around these experiences are not, it's not well developed because it's mostly like, would you, you know, would you tap that? It's like, no, I'd not tap any of this, <laughs> but you know, uh, people talk about like finding celebrities hot. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't get it. Like Benedict Cumberbatch. I don't know. <laughs> Everybody's obsessed with him or um, who's a, who's a hot female celebrity. Jennifer Aniston. Sure. Yeah, like, I just, I don't see it, right? I just, what makes her attractive and somebody else not attractive, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I guess to answer your question, what goes through my mind is not what goes through your mind. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll mention at this point, right, 
asexuality is a spectrum. There are some people who use the label uh, demisexual, which okay. means that they experience sexual attraction only once they, they've really become closer to somebody. So mm. they don't experience sexual attraction initially, yeah. but they, then they experience it develops over time. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I'm not demisexual. It's never really happened to me. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's it's just one of those things where, like, there's there's labels for every experience. So, mm-hmm. you know, if your experience doesn't really match labels that you've heard so far, keep looking because yeah. the label for you is out there somewhere or you could make it up yourself. Totally. So let's specifically talk about arousal. Do you get aroused? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was an easy. It's, that it's was an great, easy answer. <laughs> easy answer. Lightning round. No, it's it's a great question. Attraction and arousal are different things, right? Mm-hmm. And just because you're attracted to something doesn't mean you're aroused. And mm-hmm. I, I would also say, conversely, things that arouse you are not, doesn't necessarily mean you're experiencing attraction. Hmm. Like they That's used to. Yeah, like they used to do they they used to try to detect homosexuality by showing men, you know, pictures of like gay sex and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'd have a device strapped to the penis to measure blood flow, right? Mm-hmm. The idea being, of course, if you get an erection, obviously you're gay for the dudes. And this was not shockingly this was not a reliable test for homosexuality. <laughs> yeah. Right, because you could still find that like like a certain scene or whatever like sexy but you're not like you wouldn't be like attracted maybe to that person or yeah or or you could you could it could just be like watching sexually explicit stuff turn Mm. some people on right Mm -hmm. um yeah so like again i can't speak for all asexual people right and i think i think everybody experiences arousal differently everybody has different levels of libido right and it's Mm -hmm. it's so variable and if so easily influenced by your mood and yeah you know your hormones uh menstrual cycle um like how much sleep you've had what you've been eating like there's so much that influences your libido so it's really hard to say um but yeah like i do i do have a libido i i, I do experience arousal i can experience arousal yeah masturbate mm-hmm. yeah like self-pleasure and stuff it's a very mechanical thing for me mm-hmm I regard it as kind of, you know, people say like scratching an itch, right? It's just like, it's just another thing I do with my body. Just like I wash my body, mm. you know, I shave, I brush my teeth. It's just, it's another form of maintenance of this fleshy, watery meat sack we all have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it's just, it's just another thing for me. Uh, I don't regard it as something particularly special or even particularly interesting that I do. It's just, I wouldn't say it's a chore, but it's like, I also don't find it super pleasurable right it's like oh okay that was an orgasm i guess fine Mm -hmm. i don't see the big deal and again like some people are like oh well you just haven't had sex with somebody then you'll understand it's like "Mm." talk to a lot of my friends they've had some really bad sex it's like i think it's kind of variable here i think it's really hit and miss sometimes yeah um (laughs) so would you say like does porn kind of like help you in that process or are you anti-porn? I already know the answer to this, but I'm just going to ask it for our viewers, our listeners. <laughs> you can't see us. And that's a good thing because I'm digging little squishies under my toes. <laughs> I'm not cutting any of this out. 
I'm definitely not anti-porn in the sense of like second wave feminism and radical feminism, which views porn and sex work through a very dour lens as something oppressive, right? I, I, I'm pro, I don't know if I would say I'm pro porn. I want to support sex workers. So from an ideological standpoint, I don't have an issue with the existence of pornography. I don't see it as a good tool for sexual education. I think we need better sex ed in our schools and our society in general. As far as my personal experiences go, uh, yeah, I've used porn in the past. I've watched porn. When I was younger, like at that kind of age where you, you're typically experimenting and discovering and you're like, ooh, ooh I found out how to find porn on the internet. Like, <laughs> like it's this big secret. <laughs> Turns out, not so much. Porn is everywhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but like when you're at that age and you think it's this new thing and you're you're super excited to like hide it from your parents and stuff because mm-hmm. um, they've never been your age. They don't they have no idea what you're doing, of course. <laughs> um, like when I was that age, zero interest in porn. I thought it was weird. I thought it was gross. Mm-hmm. Why is everybody making these noises? Mm-hmm. Um, so so it it was not it has not been until much more recently that I've ever personally seen any utility in porn mm-hmm. and to some extent still it, it's, it's really hit or miss for me again those noises <laughs> like <laughs> here's the thing about porn for me i'm actually a lot more comfortable with porn in the sense of i can believe that the two people are having sex because they're being paid to do it ah. it really boggles my mind sometimes like when you you're talking to me about sex and stuff i'm just like no like you don't actually enjoy that, do you? Like, me? who would enjoy talk this? About sex? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, and it's just like when I when I talk to people I know about sex, yeah, right. Or when I, you know, there's people I know who have kids, and I'm like, well, you must have had sex to have a kid, like logically. Mm-hmm. There's still a small part of me that's like, no, every single person is lying to me. Nobody has sex. Like nobody mm-hmm. wants to have sex. Nobody enjoys this. Like, how could you possibly? Mm-hmm. So. The artificiality of porn, the fact that the people on this screen are doing it because it's what they're paid to be doing. You know, it's not, they're not, it's not what they like doing. This is a job for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though hopefully if you're in that industry, you do enjoy your job. Um, Like the artificiality of it is more comfortable for me than the informality of it between just like people in general. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean. It just it's a thing like sometimes I just knit and and watch it because I'm fascinated by it sometimes. I'm just like, wow, like how do you put together these scenes and like who comes up with this material? I love listening to like interviews and podcasts with people who like write porn scenes and stuff. Yeah. Um, that that is it's... interesting. I do I find it f- so fascinating though that you can just like sit and like just watch it and be doing something else and not watching it for like a certain purpose right like you're you just sort of have it on i've never done that maybe you should try it yeah this is the thing watching porn does not arouse me watching naked people move around does no reaction <laughs> so would it be sort of just like having like a cartoon on sure yeah like i wouldn't say it's exactly the same like yeah. I, i'm not saying like i'm not saying like oh i just i toss porn on like i toss on any tv show like no mm-hmm. to some extent and that's the thing right is to some extent, all of us who use porn use it only because we've been habituated to use it, right? Like, yes, you may find porn stimulating and arousing, 
but also to some extent you're habituated to it because this is the society we live in. Mm -hmm. So I would say that, you know, I don't experience attraction to the people I see on the screen or uh, attraction to what they're doing, but I have been somewhat habituated by it because that's the society we live in. Mm -hmm. I could probably dehabituate myself if I wanted to. I, I, I think, you know, in some ways, at least from my, my experiences, porn as a visual medium is quite limiting because all you're doing is watching other people have sex, mm -hmm. which again, actually kind of boring to me. Mm -hmm. um, I much prefer like erotica because there's just so much more room for the imagination of it all. Mm. Um, and, you know, as with, like I said, the artificiality of porn, the, the fantastical elements of erotica, the more fantastical, the better. I prefer because it's not real. Mm -hmm. And the less real it is to me, the more comfortable I am with it. Because I'm not sex repulsed in the sense of, oh, like the mention of sex or the description of sex makes me uncomfortable. But I need it to be removed from me. I, it's, I can't be fantasizing or imagining about myself. It has to be people who are not like me in situations totally different from my own. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the only way I can find it acceptable. So, so fascinating. I could literally talk to you about this for like hours. So do you feel like in the future, would you want to have a partner? Maybe not to have sex with, but maybe someone to live with. Or maybe not. It's really hard for me to tell. And I'm also a little nervous answering this question because, like I said before, one of the common misconceptions about asexuality and aromanticism is that, oh, we just haven't met the right, met the right person yet, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't want to be like hard light and like, no, I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you know, there's a part of me that feels like I'm betraying this identity when I say, oh, well, maybe I'll meet somebody. Right. So, so it's, it's such, it's such a tough thing to talk about and consider because of all of those, uh, misconceptions. Mm -hmm. What I, what I will say from my personal standpoint is I am really happy being by myself, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of living by myself, not being involved in any kind of exclusive partnership or relationship. And there are alternatives to, uh, the sort of normative romantic relationships, right? There's things called queer platonic relationships. Mm -hmm. So those exist. Um, I just, I'm happy with who I am right now. I think that for that to change in the future would require a lot to change, uh, more so than me just beating somebody, right? I don't think I could meet somebody and want to change everything, I think other things in my life would also have to change mm. to get me into that position, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of hard to know, like, the now you to answer this for, like, the future you. Because you don't even know what the future you is going to be like. And, like, there there are asexual people, there are aromantic people who have partners, who are married, who have families, like... It's totally possible. Like, if even if you're arrow, if you want to go out and date people because you like the social aspect of it, and you want, you know, or if you're arrow and but you still experience sexual attraction and you want a sexual partner, 
and you end up choosing to be in a relationship with them as well, like that's total, totally a possibility. But this is the thing is like, I have zero interest in dating somebody. Mm. So like, if I were to have a partner, it would have to be this weird kind of like ad hoc thing of like, oh, I guess we're partners now, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. not like I'm ever going to go. I'm, it's not like I'm going to let you sign me up for Bumble, Becky. <laughs> um, I'm not out there looking. Listen, you're not, uh, mitching, you're, you're not missing much anyway. I know. <laughs> uh, so it's. I don't think it's so much about being open to having a partner as, you know, if I were to turn that around, I'm super satisfied with what I have right now. Yeah. I choose, I choose to direct my energy towards my friends. There are certain people like you I'm so close to. I want you in my life. I want to be there for my friends uh, in the way that sometimes exclusive partners are there for people, Mm -hmm. right? I want to be that friend that you can call up at 10 p.m. at night and know that I'm available, probably. uh, And and I don't mind being that because I really, part of my identity is helping out my friends. Mm. Uh, And and I guess for me, that's the, the lifestyle that I found that satisfies me instead of having a relationship with just a single person. I love that. You answered it very honestly, that's for sure. Yeah, and like you said, you you are speaking about your experiences, not for not for everybody who's asexual, right? Because everybody has different experiences. Yeah, the only the only person who can decide what label you should use for yourself is you. Yeah. So don't let anybody else tell you, oh, that's not a thing or that's mm-hmm. not really what being asexual is. Like, mm-hmm. you know what best suits your experiences. And some people who maybe don't experience sexual attraction, maybe they don't want, don't want to identify as asexual. That's totally valid, too. Some people, labels don't matter as much, right? That's mm-hmm. fine. I'm not here to say you have to come and start using our label. It's just like it's a label that I've started finding more valuable for me and more important. Uh, and it's something I, I like to talk about now. Love it. And so, yeah, if, if any of our listeners have any other questions for me about this, please feel free to hit me up on Twitter yep. or on our Facebook page or email us. In mm-hmm. a moment, Becky will tell you where you can find us online. And I'll also add, right, like if you're somebody who's asexual or, or aromantic and, you know, you've got something you want to say or you want to set the record. Uh, I was going to say set the record straight. That doesn't sound right here. Uh, <laughs> if you want to point out an area where maybe I've overlooked something or overstepped and please feel free to call me out and correct me or give me your perspective. And I'd be happy to share that on the show during a future episode. Damn. Okay. So good. So Becky, if people have got questions, comments, want to get in touch, where can they find us? You can find us at www.wejustliketotalk.com and anywhere you find podcasts, including Spotify and iTunes. Please subscribe, like, comment if you wish, send us an email. Thank you so much, Ben, for answering all these questions and sharing your experiences. I know it's not easy, um, but you are definitely um, making people aware of asexuality and aromanticism, and I think it's awesome. Thank you for being so supportive of me in real life, Becky. Uh, I just, I love talking to you about this stuff because you've always been understanding. And I know there've been a few times where maybe you didn't quite understand what I was saying, Mm -hmm. but you've always supported me regardless. Thank you for 
doing the work of like coming up with questions and, and being the token straight person today on the episode. <laughs> More than happy to play that role. <laughs>